and the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. The dominant theology of the Old Testament, which is called the Deuteronomic theology, uh, was kind of in our psalm today and again in our um, gradual hymn, which when I read it, I realised we shouldn't have had the psalm, we were just going to have the hymn, but never mind. And, uh, and it is this theology that the righteous will be rewarded with long life and wealth and health and lots of children, and the sinners will be punished and have all the opposite. It is the dominant theology found in the Old Testament. And it gets its name because it's at, at the heart of Deuteronomy and then Joshua and Judges and 1 and 2 Kings, but it's found all through the Old Testament, this theology that the righteous will be rewarded and the unrighteous, the sinners, will be punished. But there are a few voices of protest against that theology. And one of the most important of those voices is Job. Job was a good man. We're told that right at the beginning. God said, there is no one more righteous than Job. And yet terrible things happened to Job. The chief prosecutor, Satan, was allowed to do all that he wanted to do to show God that actually he wasn't that good. But in the end, he was still a righteous man. The only thing that Job wanted was his time in court. Because he knew he was righteous. He knew that he had done nothing wrong. And he wanted to hold God to account. God, this is how you operate. You reward the righteous, you punish the sinners. So what is going on? You have acted wrongly here. And God's response to that, which we would have heard, which we did hear last week, was one of the most important passages, I think, in the Bible. One that we skip over all the time. And most theologians don't like to hear it. Because God says, Who do you think you are to tell me how I will operate? Were you there when I first laid out the foundations of the earth? Were you there when I put the water in place? Were you there when I put the land in place? When you, were you there when I created everything, everything out of nothing? Who are you to tell me, the creator of everything, how I will be God? And in the face of that, Job says, I was wrong. And that's what we heard today. So I have a little bone to pick with the writers of the lectionary. I have a bone to pick because they stuck that psalm with it, which goes all against everything that the book of Job is about. Why did they choose that psalm? It could have had no psalm, and that would have been a better option altogether. Because actually, Job says, the whole point of this whole book is, you can't tell God how God will operate. There are no certainties. In the end, God will be God. I am who I am. Not, I am who the theologians tell me I can be. And there's actually quite a debate within the Old Testament world, the scholars that is, about whether even that ending we heard today belongs to Job. 
And there's a lot of scholars who say it was tapped on the end because it was just too hard. You couldn't have a righteous man at the end of the story still with nothing. So on the end of it, they said, oh, well, he had twice as many, well, he had got his sons and daughters replaced and twice as many sheep and everything else and everything was back to normal as it should be. And there's a whole lot of people who say actually that was added way later on because people were just too uncomfortable with Job as it was. That the story ends with Job. And there's this really interesting thing about the way they changed that story. It's like, well, if we give him back his sons and daughters and we give him back all the sheep and oxen and everything else, it's like nothing happened. Except if Job was a real person... You and I know that's simply not true. He would still carry the grief for his sons and daughters who died. He would still carry the scars of the fact that his friends at the moment of crisis didn't see Job the person anymore. They just saw Job the sinner. They threw out the window everything they knew about him and put a category on him and said, you're in this category, this is how we treat you. And as brothers and sisters, that's the first time we heard about them in the story at the end. They didn't see him as a person. So Job the person, nothing was fixed. He still would have carried all of that hurt and grief with him, even with the new family. Our gospel reading today is also an interesting story. It comes at the end of what is called the central section in Mark. It begins, the central section, with a story about a blind man being healed, which we didn't hear because the lectionary writers didn't think we needed to hear both the blind men's stories. And so this one, though, is different, because in this one, Jesus has a go up healing the blind man, and he says, well, actually, everyone looks like trees. So Jesus heals him again, and this time he can see everything. And then we have Jesus predicting three times that he's going to go to Jerusalem and be crucified and rise again, to which the disciples respond with appropriate comments like, Oh, don't say that! That's just all wrong! That's not what happens to Messiah. We're going to win! And things like, And when we win, who's going to be the greatest? And when we win, can I sit on your left-hand side and on your right-hand side? And at the end of the central section, Jesus walks down the Jordan to Jericho at the bottom of the road that leads up to Jerusalem, the steep, windy road, and as they're leaving, a blind man named Bartimaeus calls out to him. Now, here's the first interesting thing about the story. We know his name. How many other people who were healed by Jesus do we know the names of? Hardly any. I mean, off the top of my head, I can't think of any. But this one, this man, Bartimaeus, which then Mark hopefully says means son of Timaeus, this man we know. Now, in Mark's account, Jesus is described at this point as Jesus the Nazarene, or Jesus from Nazareth, which can be kind of taken in two ways. The first is a bit snobbish. You know, like, oh, that's just Jesus from Nazareth, that rat hole back up in Galilee. You don't need to pay any attention to him because nothing good comes out of there. Everyone from there is of low honour, 
So, whatever. Or, it can be read as, that Jesus. That Jesus from Nazareth. That Jesus. But Bartimaeus doesn't call him Jesus of Nazareth, does he? He calls out, Jesus, son of David. Which to us sounds quite a nice thing to say, doesn't it? But it wouldn't have been the kind of thing you would have heard very often said out loud in public. Who was David? Well, David was the great king. And his kingdom was the great kingdom, the pinnacle of history. And actually, everything after that, people are looking back to that and saying, we want to get back to that kingdom. And the son of David, the son of David is the one who will lead them back to that kingdom. In this place, that means he is the one that will overthrow Herod, and he is the one who will grind the Romans into the dust and restore the kingdom of David. This is not nice religious language that we hear. This is the language of insurgency, of revolution. And you do not use that kind of language in public. Because the Romans and Herod have their spies everywhere. And that's the kind of language that gets you nailed to a cross pretty quickly. So the crowd say to him, be quiet, shush. But they also say be quiet because he's a blind man. Now, we don't know much about Bartimaeus. We don't know when he became blind. So we don't know whether this person, Bartimaeus, sitting on the side of the road, what kind of griefs he was carrying for his life lost. Maybe, maybe he'd been, become blind later on. So he was grieving for the life that he once had. His work, his family, his place in the community. Now gone because he's blind and he's now on the edge, sitting at the gate, a beggar. Or maybe, maybe he'd always been blind. And so he's grieving for the life that he never had. Never really part of his family. Never really part of that community. Blind, sitting on the edge at the gate a beggar with no voice not a person a beggar you be quiet you have no voice here you don't belong we give you money when we feel like it but you you be quiet and Jesus hears him and stops and then Jesus does a very interesting thing. He says, call him. Now Jesus could have called him. Clearly in the earshot, Jesus heard him. He could say to him, come here Bartimaeus. But no, he says to the crowd, you call him. Or to put that another way, you see him. And speak to him. You treat him like a person. Not just blind man sitting on the side of the road who I might give a coin to occasionally, see him as a person and speak to him. You call him to me. And then when he comes to Jesus, Jesus asks him a question. What would you want me to do for you? Why would Jesus ask that question? It's 
pretty obvious he's blind, just wants to be healed, surely. Would we ask him? Or would we just assume and heal him if we could? Now, if we were reading all of this from Go and Mark, we would have just heard that question like a few seconds ago. Jesus asking two of his disciples, what would you want me to do for you? And their answer, well their answer is a really different answer. Their answer is, we would like to sit on your left hand side and on your right hand side when you come into glory. Because we want to be right at the centre of things and be the ones with all the power and the might and the wealth. Thank you very much. Is that okay? And then a few seconds later Jesus says to another person called Bartimaeus, what would you want me to do for you? And he says, please heal me. Restore my sight. Which is actually what James and John should have answered as well. Because they were still seeing like trees. And Jesus heals him and says, You can go now. And Bartimaeus follows him on the way. Where are they? They're in Jericho. And the way? The way is the road to Jerusalem and the cross. Bartimaeus follows him on that way. James and John, still looking for something else. So Job, who we don't see as a person very much, and Bartimaeus, who actually most of the time we don't see as a person either. Even the commentators just talk about the blind man, Bartimaeus who's just really a figure in a story. But Jesus sees him as a person and treats him like a person. For me, this Gospel reading asks some hard questions of me. Who is it that I don't see as a person? Who is it that I just treat as a label? Bartimaeus, bad, blind man, label. I have to ask myself, the homeless man, I didn't even know his name, but he lived in our porch for two months. Did I ever see him as a person? Or did I just see a homeless man that I was in the end getting annoyed with because he was still living in a cardboard box in our porch? Probably in the end I was just seeing him as a homeless man. Never seeing him as a person with his pain that he is no longer in a house living in a cardboard box in a porch of a church. Or his hopes for what might happen in his future. I don't know that I ever found out. I know I never found out the story about why he was there. I just know that life was hard. Who is it that we don't see? And only hear the label of. We too are also not seen as people. We too are often just have a label applied to us. And then everything else about us can be forgotten. Old person, Māori, churchgoer, whatever. I've just finished reading a book by Atul Gawande called... Uh, who's a a surgeon from America, you can tell that by his name, and uh, called, no you can't, I was being silly, Uh, called Being Mortal. And in it he is exploring 
how rest home care and uh, the medical world operates in America. And basically in the book he's saying that we have reduced people down to being a problem. You go and see the doctor, you go into the rest home world, you suddenly become a medical problem that needs to be solved. Which is a little problematic when you go into a rest home because you can't solve old age. And the people who go in there are no longer people with their hopes for the future and their fears about the future and their grief about the past. They are just a medical problem that needs to be solved. And the book really is an account of his journey of how he learned to see the people who he was operating on as people, not as a medical problem. And the last story tells is the death of his father and how he kind of used some new ways of asking questions of people on his father and how that changed everything. (laughs) Because his father wasn't a medical problem that needed to be solved. His father was his father. The danger was that he could slide back as his father had and his mother who were also doctors, also surgeons, into just seeing him as a patient, just seeing him as a medical problem. We too are sometimes just treated like a label, a problem to be solved. So in our Gospel reading today, I think we're invited to consider two things. The first is, how do we just see labels and not see the people behind the labels? Who are the people that we are being invited to see? With all their grief and fear and hopes and longings. How are we with all those people who were around Bartimaeus and just saw a blind man and not Bartimaeus? But also, how are we, Bartimaeus, who Jesus sees as a person? And when Jesus says to us, what can I do for you with your fears and grief and hopes and longings? What is it that you want to say back to Jesus? Let's just stop for a moment and in silence reflect on that question asked of us.